Good morning. My name's Clancy, and uh, this is your first Sunday here, or if you haven't been here in a little while, I'm preaching here uh, the whole month of August, and this is my last time with you. I head out right after church, and uh, oh, thanks. That was a little more sympathetic than first hour, so <laughs> I appreciate that. But no, in all seriousness, I, I genuinely have, uh, I believe, what will be a lasting affection in my heart for all of you. I've gotten to know some of you on a, on a very deep level, and it's been uh, a privilege. Uh, spent a lot of time with Justin the other day, two hours, and afterwards I'm like, oh gosh, I just blew this guy away. Just telling him stories and where our church has gone. You guys are, I don't know, you're in such a good place. I've been doing local church ministry for a long, long time, and I've helped plant three churches, and I've helped coach a lot of pastors and uh, you have something really sweet and really special. Man, just work it for God's glory. And thanks for everything. Uh, people have ministered to me and take care of me. They took me fishing and all kinds of cool stuff. So thankful. And I want to ask you for a little bit of prayer. Uh, some of you have done this kind of thing, and you've, you've been out in the bush and on the different rivers. But uh, today, after church, I drive to Anchorage and then fly to Fairbanks, and then tomorrow morning I fly to Galena to uh, that village for a while, and we're going to, a group from Alabama with Arctic Barnabas and some other groups are going to be there, and we're going to minister to that church as they prepare for the next pastor, and so just pray for us, pray for us all, not just me, but pray for us all, and then especially next Thursday, I leave there in the morning, and then it's a long 36 hours home, so <laughs> I'll be excited to get home, but I'm sure I'm going to be like a grumpy bear. Uh, when I get home. No real bear experiences. Uh, I won't even go into it. I've had some funny stories happen, but uh, I want you to do me a, a quick favor. Um, I want to take a little video. My church needs to know I'm like up here working. Like I'm really, I'm really actually working. And uh, so first hour did great. When I say go, I'm going to pan the room with a little video. And I just want you to say Hi, Marysville Grace. Like, you are Peninsula Grace, right? At, back home in Marysville, Ohio, we're Marysville Grace. So just, hi, Marysville Grace. Thank you for sending Pastor Clancy, right? And if someone yells, he's a rock star, he's handsome, he's great, all, it's a, that's fine. That's fine. I'm absolutely kidding. But just, if you want to give at the end just a little, woo, you know, kind of like that kind of thing. So, hi, Marysville Grace. Thank you for sending Pastor Clancy, when I say go, ready, go. All right, thank you so much. Okay, well, we've been looking at the lives of Moses and Elijah over these weekends together and how their lives their stories, their teachings, and their legacy grow our faith. How lessons from their lives teach us vital truths about God, about life, about ourselves, and especially how their life, story, and legacy teach us about Jesus. I've been trying to fill these buckets over these weekends with you. But why these guys? Why these two? Why single out these characters compared to like Abraham or David or Esther or pick your Old Testament uh, character? The reason these two guys stand out 
is because it becomes clear in the teachings of Jesus and other New Testament writers that these two individuals represent all of God's covenants. All of His promises and especially the prophecies pointing to Jesus. These two individuals represent the law and the prophets which speak to the coming Messiah, the true deliverer, the true prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus. So as we wrap up our series, I want to once again remind you that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your faith is on a very firm foundation. The Bible teaches cover to cover. And I've got a good buddy in Georgia, and he says, pal, down here we preach the Bible kiver to kiver. And I text him today, and I said, Michael, I'm going to use that in my sermon today. But from cover to cover, Paul said it best, all God's promises find their yes in Jesus. Look it up. What a powerful statement. All of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. You can grow your entire faith on searching out the implications of that. So if you're trusting Jesus with your eternal soul, you're as safe as you could ever be. If you're not, the Bible says the wrath of God stands over you. See, these men brought glory to God by faith. We touched on much of this over the past three weekends. They confronted living evil. They could smell it. They could smell the breath of those they confronted. They led their people through very, very challenging circumstances and then called their people to love God, repent of their sins, obey the commandments, and worship the one true God, not the pharaohs, not the Baals, not the false gods. Last week we looked at the life of Elijah where in a time of great rebellion, his people were sinning against God in the most disgusting way, betraying the one true living God. And God brought drought upon their land as punishment for worshiping the God Baal, who required human sacrifice, often infants, and demanded temple prostitution. The people had run after this God in massive numbers, and their leaders and their prophets were turning away from the living God and became advocates and worship leaders of the God Baal, and the people practiced Baalism. So God brought this drought to bring people, the people back to Himself. So last week, we saw how God brings the prophet Elijah on the scene to confront the people, to confront the wicked king Ahab and his wicked queen wife Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. He challenged them to a cosmic duel, if you will, where they built altars, and whatever God answered by fire, the people could say, that God is God. God answered in a blaze of glory, and fire fell from heaven and consumed the offering, and all the false prophets were killed. And it seemed for now that the people had repented. For now, it seemed like they repented and turned back to God. Well, let's pick up our story in 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, if you turn in your Bible or turn your Bible on, that's fine with me. Turn to 1 Kings 19, 
And after this great, great victory, where everyone stood and said, the Lord, He is God. The one to whom Elijah prayed, He is God. In a very short period of time, everything around Elijah came crashing down. Everything around him. So much so that he wanted to die. And he even asked God for that. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Now, listen. She is the real deal. She's capital Q queen. She knows how to send a message. I imagine this guy coming into Elijah's presence like something from Star Wars or something from Dune or something. This guy almost like floating into the room in all the royal regalia, all the royal colors, maybe even tattoos, maybe even something on his forehead representing Jezebel. And he probably spoke like this, Elijah, I have a message for you. Uh, a little drama here, a little fun theater, but that's probably what happened. This dude's representing Jezebel. Like, if he doesn't get it right, that's how it sounds when that kind of thing. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, and this is what the messenger said. Speaking for Jezebel. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah freaks out. He's terrified and he runs for his life. Now everybody, everybody do that. What are you doing, Elijah? What just happened? And she sends you a threat. Now, maybe this guy did float in. I don't know. But he runs When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, prayed that he might die. Lord, I've had enough. Been there? Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. That's really important because he's saying, they rebelled against you. They worshiped the Baals. They're not getting it done. I can't get it done. We're not getting it done. Then he lay down under the tree and fell, as fell asleep. That's what we often do, right? When we want to escape, let's go to bed for weeks. Or find some other form of escape. Whether it's weed or porn or drinking or just isolation we escape, and that's what he's doing. All at once, an angel touched him. Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and then went back to sleep. Now, if you know the story of Elijah, this isn't the first time God provided this very same way for him. God's sending him a message. God's speaking to him in Elijah. It's a real language. Look it up. 
The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up, eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. If my recollection is clear, there's only three people in all the Bible that spent 40 days and 40 nights somewhere that had to do with a mountain. Can you name them? Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. Keep that in mind. The word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, he just vents. I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death by the sword, and I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Remember Moses' story? Same kind of thing. Then a great, powerful earth, excuse me, a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. So I live in the Midwest. We get tornadoes all the time. You're like, why do you live there? You guys get like tsunamis and earthquakes, right? Why do you live there? Just where you live, right? So when the Bible talks about this big, strong wind, I mean, do you get tornadoes here? That's so weird to me. Like we've never had a tsunami in Union County, Ohio. (laughs) Never. When I'm down in Homer last week, I'm seeing... This big old sign that says, we're checking the tsunami signal. And I'm like, I'm hitting the accelerator right now. This is powerful stuff. God's demonstrating his power, but not demonstrating how he will always speak to us. He's not always going to come with thunder, earthquakes, and what's next is fire. But watch how he comes to Elijah. After the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. Maybe your version is an older version. It says a still, small voice. I actually like that a lot. Like God spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. It's like God ramps it way up to effectively bring it down to where Elijah can hear. I'm capable of coming to you this way, but I want to talk to you. Then the voice said, in a still, small whisper, I'm here. And verse 13 says, when Elijah heard it, don't miss that. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said again, Elijah, what are you doing here? I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword, and only I am left, and now they're trying to kill me. Everybody do this again. It's like, Elijah, he knows. He knows. What God says next is incredibly helpful. The Lord said to him, verse 15, go back. 
go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint King Hazael, king over Aram, anoint, then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maholeth, you, you try this sometime, to succeed, and then to succeed you as a prophet, I want you to anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahoah, to succeed you. Verse 17, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Azahel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And oh, by the way, I have 7,000 of you, prophet guys. I have 7,000 in reserve. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Everybody go, ew. God says, you're not the only one, Elijah. You're not the only one who's walked this path. You're raging a little bit as if I don't know. I've got 7,000 prophets. I could snap my fingers and commission them anywhere I want them to go. You've got to get perspective, Elijah. And so what he tells him, simply get back to work. That's what prophets do. They anoint kings, right? And they take out bad people. Get back to work. Sometimes I think in our, please don't hear me minimizing depression or anxiety or things like that, but sometimes it's just, you've got to do some work. You've got to get back to work. Get out of the cave. Get back where you belong. Do what you're called to do, and God will meet you. He can bring the earthquake when He needs to. He can bring the fire and the wind when He needs to. And He can whisper to you when He needs to. The point is, will you listen? Will you listen? Well, Jezebel, she gets whacked. <laughs> you, can, you can read ahead. And Elijah does pass the authority to Elisha. And it's just an amazing story. I read ahead yesterday. I've read the story before. I read ahead and, wow, you know, Elijah calls out to Elisha. And Elisha, he's this farmer guy with all these oxen and this, this great plow. I can imagine him kind of jacked. And, and Elijah comes on the scene and Elisha sees him, and Elijah said, you're my guy. And so Elisha burns his plow and sacrifices all of the oxen because he's going to work for God. It's a great follow-up story. You should look at it. So Elijah's life of service is very relatable And, and why do I say that? He's up and down. His attitude, his presumptions toward God, it's just like us. The book of James says that he was a guy just like us. He had a bad attitude at times. He wanted to quit. He wanted to die. But he knew his God, and he knew him by name. I wonder if you notice what he said two times. He said, I know your name is Lord God Almighty. 
It's Adonai, Elohim, and Sabaoth all put together. You know, we sing an old hymn that talks about Lord Sabaoth. It's not Lord Sabbath, like the day of rest. It's Sabaoth. It's a different Hebrew word, and it means Lord God, almighty king of hosts, king of all living things, especially the angelic hosts. Like 7,000 prophets, God's got all the angels at his command. And this is how Elijah knew his God. And he knew, finally, he knew how to listen and finish well. He was taken up. He never died. Elijah never dies. He's He's taken up to heaven later in the story in a flaming chariot with flaming horses. What a way to go. And as he's being taken up into heaven, his mantle, the prophet's cloak, falls off of him and Elisha picks it up and he's now the man of God. It's a great story of succession. The interaction between these guys is awesome. But my point is all the way back in verse 13 of 1 Kings 19, when Elijah Heard it. When he was finally listening. Do you know your God that way? Do you hear him speak? Do you listen? So years later, generations later actually, Elijah hears God again on another mountain. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, we have the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. Luke is in the New Testament. The New Testament starts with Matthew, and then Mark, and then Luke. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 28, the Bible says this, About eight days after Jesus said this, He took Peter, John, and James with Him and went up to a mountain to pray. Imagine what you would learn. You were with Jesus in prayer. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men. Hello. Moses and Elijah appear in glorious splendor talking with Jesus (sighs) to be a fly on the cloud or you know to be to be there what did they talk about verse 31 they spoke about his departure and i i think i can make the case that it wasn't just his ascension so to speak i think it meant eschatological here's what's coming moses and elijah they spoke about his departure which he was about to bring Uh, to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So it wasn't as if they didn't talk about that. But I suspect it was more than that. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Surprise, surprise. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men. No mention of their glory. They saw the glory of Jesus and the two men. As the men were leaving Jesus, Moses and Elijah were leaving Jesus, Peter said, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And they were afraid. As they entered the cloud, a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son. This is the voice of God. I know 
I know you get that, but I just want to be clear. This is God speaking to the whole group. This is my son whom I have chosen. Say it. Listen to him. Now, Moses and Elijah represent all the law and the prophets. There's a lot in the Bible. They bring a lot to the table in the form of covenants and prophecies and law and legacy and teachings. God says it all comes together in Jesus. Listen to him now and forevermore. So my question to you at the time that remains is, do you listen? Do you hear your shepherd? John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep know me and hear my voice. He said to his disciples at a come to Jesus meeting, they were, they were not doing well. And he said this, here's the kind of person, these are the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, here's the kind of person who comes to me, hears my words, and puts it into practice. He's like the person that builds their house on a rock. The kind of person, still Jesus, that comes to me, hears my words, and doesn't follow through, builds his house on sand. Are you hearing? Are you listening? Are you obeying? And so for the next couple of minutes, I want to encourage you with things that I believe Jesus is saying to you and is always saying to you among many things. We don't have the time today, but here's what I want to tell you. He would say this, first of all, I love you. How can the greatest commandment in the Bible be love me with all your heart, soul, and mind, and I don't start here. So I'm starting here. He would tell you, and he's telling you now, I love you. You're not an accident. You're not an evolutionary accident. I made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You bear the imago Dei. Your personality, your giftings, your value, your gender, all come from a good and sovereign creator. Next, he would tell you, you have a mission for your life and a destiny for your eternity. You're not just going to be absorbed into the universe when it's all done. You bear the unique you because of Jesus for all eternity. I think he would tell you that you have enemies of cosmic proportions. I'm not trying to be profound. I'm trying to be truthful. Satan is an angel of light. Listen to me. Satan is an angel of light. He will get you this close to the truth and make you feel super comfortable that you know God. Elijah, Lord God Almighty, no wiggle room in that. There's only one. The enemy wants you to think that all gods are the same, but the enemy never plays by the rules, never takes a day off, and takes no prisoners. I think Jesus would gently remind you that by your very nature, me too, we are steeped in sin. I could make the case that sin is our primary enemy even after we're saved because you're justified in Jesus and the penalty for sin is gone. I believe in eternal security. 
But the power of sin remains, and it can be deadly, not to your soul, but to a lot of other things in your life. It's living and active. The book of Hebrews says this, sin possesses deceitfulness. That's almost like a willfulness and a conniving that can really take your spiritual life down. And the Bible can be a mirror for you to see things clearly. I think Jesus would say that you need a remedy for your rebellion And you need the Son of God to administer it. Administer that remedy. It's a remedy to deception. Jesus can help you put on spiritual eyes to see things as they truly are. And he does that through the written word and the living word himself. In the beginning was the... And the word was with God and the word was God. That's how we hear. Speaking of that, let me give you some ways to listen. Quiet time in God's word. Jesus is the living word, but this is alive like a sharp double-edged sword. And it can do surgery on the darkness in your heart. It can do surgery on your false beliefs about God, but you've got to spend time in it. You've got to spend time quietly. And if you, if you don't know the Bible, if you don't feel like you're... There are trained, highly trained professionals who can help you understand how and why the Bible is put together and how you can understand the great theme of the Bible, which is Jesus. Next, yield to the wonderful Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is in you if you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. God's Spirit is in you. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't doubt the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit of God and you will hear the Father. Another, this kind of all mashes together a little bit, but bear with me. Prayer. Do you have a plan to pray? Do you know how to pray? And there are thousands of theories and ideas and sometimes well-meaning people, and you listen to how they pray or how they talk about prayer, and you're like, find someone to teach you to pray. And as a matter of fact, I didn't think to say this first hour, but I'm going to say it now. Ask Jesus. Here's what I mean. One day his disciples came to him, and they asked this question of him. They said, Lord, teach us to pray been a pastor for decades you know I'm 31 years old now what I'm saying is only in the past 25 years have I really learned how to pray don't give up on that it's how you hear God and then be quiet in prayer I'm not talking about some meditative out of bot. No. Remind yourself, listen very carefully, remind yourself in whose presence you are. Lord God Almighty, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true living God, the one true God, 
say, there's no quiet in my life. You can find quiet. I got to get up at four if that's what it takes. The sun's still up. <laughs> I had to, sorry, I had to, had to just throw that one in there. Land of the midnight sun. Hmm. Here's what dulls your hearing. The voices of other gods. They're coming at you. They're coming at you. Other religions would love for you to say we all worship the same God. If you fall for that, you will not hear the true and living God. Another thing that dulls your hearing is unresolved conflict. I've been... I know, I know, I've been around a while. I've been through some, some Lulus with people who were mad at me. My wife, she's never been mad at me. Not one time. Not one time. Unresolved conflict, it makes us hear them all the time. I'm right, aren't I? You've got to ask Jesus how to resolve that conflict. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. When you're on your way to the court with your adversary, settle matters quickly right there on the path. Settle it. Your heart hardened by sin is going to dull your spiritual hearing. Indulging your flesh, whether it's lust, drink, weed, food, sleep, even your workout, right? You, you're, you can become an idol to yourself in the mirror. You know? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, stay healthy. Don't, don't let it go too far, right? Chicks don't dig those pecs anyway. They don't. And the ones that do, Run. So let me give you three things that can help get your hearing right. In the book of Revelation, every time Jesus speaks to the churches, he says, these are the words of him who is trustworthy. And in Revelation 3, it says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now you remember... That last church of the seven in Revelation, the church of Laodicea, they had an identity crisis. They thought they were just fine. They had a perception of themselves. We're rich, we're well clothed, we got all we need. And Jesus said, you are poor, blind, wretched, naked. But I have something for you. But if you don't turn and say a full-on yes to me, I'll spit you out. So here are three ways for a fresh start. Number one, an honest look. An honest assessment of where you are with the Lord. What's the level of your devotion? you got to look in that spiritual mirror. The church in Revelation, especially Laodicea, they're like, we're good. I'm good. But they needed to mirror 
of the blazing eyes of Jesus. An honest look can give you a fresh start to listen to God. Number two, remember he loves you. In Revelation 3.19, Jesus said, to the one I love, I'll give a place on my throne if you repent. I love you, repent, and you'll sit with me. Remember, he loves you. He's for you as you're seeking him, not against you. And finally, when you hear him knock, open the door. Let's pray. As the team comes, I wonder if you might choose one of these. Do you need an honest look? Do you need the eyes of your Savior to see yourself? Church in Revelation, they thought, we got this. It it actually says, the church of Laodicea said, we don't need a thing. Maybe that's you. I need an honest look. Just pray that. Real quickly, God, just where you sit. God, I need an honest look. It scares me, but I need it. Maybe you need to remember he loves you. See, things just seem so against me. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Or maybe you've heard this. And you need to open the door. If that's you, just simply say in your heart where you sit right now. Say, the door is open, Jesus. Come in. The door is open, Jesus. I mean it. I've opened it. Look, Jesus, you've knocked. I'm opening. Thank you, Jesus, for being our shepherd. Calling out to us. Might we hear you, run to you, and find the comfort, strength, protection, provision, green grass and still water that we need. We pray this in your name and all of God's people said. Let's stand.